If you've, uh, if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, you know that we have been looking at uh, the songs of Christmas. And these aren't the songs that you'd probably hear uh, shopping in the shopping mall on the loudspeakers. These are, are the songs that were sung by uh, the characters of the Christmas story. Uh, and they sang these songs because it was the only way they could truly express what they were feeling. They couldn't express it in words. They had to break out in song. And we've seen how songs have this powerful ability to not just communicate truth, but also to mix that truth with emotions and how we can feel. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at at Mary's story. Last week, we looked at Zachariah's story. And this week, I'd like to look at John the Baptist's story, his song that you see in uh, Luke chapter 3. So I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 to uh, 18. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Licentius tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make make his path straight, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see you here this morning. 
that these words that we have just read and that we are about to reflect on for the next few minutes would not just be uh, ancient words in an ancient book that don't have much meaning to our lives today. But Father, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and lives to see what these words mean for us here and now as we eagerly await our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. One of my uh, favorite movies or favorite uh, movies to watch when I was younger was the Back to the Future trilogy. I don't know if you've ever seen these and I'm excited for the day where I can kind of watch them with my kids and and they may understand them. But when I was young, I used to love watching these movies. And uh, my favorite one was actually the sequel. It was Back to the Future 2, which came out uh, in 1989. And uh, unlike the first movie, where the main characters go into the past, in the second movie, the main characters go into the future. And I don't know if you remember what year they went to in the future, but the year they went to was 2015, the year that we are about to start. So I am looking forward in 2015 to the Cubs winning the World Series, to uh, shoelaces that will tie themselves And I'm looking forward to traveling on hoverboards and flying cars in 2015. Now, we laugh because the movie didn't really give us an adequate picture of what our future really is. But what the movie did do is it gave us insight on how people in the past, and really in 1989, thought or looked forward to the future. And in looking at what their picture is of the future, we are able to understand the the way people thought in 1989 when they made movies like this. Well, this morning what I'd like to do is is move into the future when it comes to the Christmas story. We're going to move into the future about 30 years. And hopefully by looking 30 years into the future, it will give us some understanding of the past. It will give us an understanding of just how monumental the birth of Jesus Christ was and is for us. Last week we looked at at Zachariah's song. Like I I said before, Zachariah's song was sung by an an old priest uh, who had been unable to speak for nine months while his wife uh, was pregnant. And then she gives birth to a young boy and they name him John and at his circumcision, Zachariah's uh, mouth is opened and he is able to speak again. And the first words that come out of his mouth are this song. This song that is full of emotion at the fact that uh, he has just uh, been given a son by God. But they are also full of emotion because Zachariah understands what this son means. He understood that his son was going to be the forerunner or the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah who was about to come. This week, what we want to do is fast forward the story. Fast forward the story so that now that young baby has now become a full grown man and history knows him as John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you look at the scriptures, John the Baptist was one of the more um, enigmatic characters in in really all of the New Testament. He was known to be a prophet in a time where there really weren't many prophets. In fact, many believe there hadn't been a prophet to God's people for over 400 years. 
And what he understood is that his role was to fulfill the prophecy that was recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophecy that we read earlier in the service. He was the voice that was going to be crying out in the wilderness that would prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And of course, we know from the story that he actually lived in the wilderness. He didn't live in the cities. He lived in the wilderness in the, in the Jordan River region. And he spoke against the establishment. He upset the establishment by the things that he said, so much so that later he was actually beheaded for the words that he proclaimed so loudly. And Matthew and Mark, which are two other gospel writers, tell us that uh, he dressed weird too. He dressed in camel's hair. He uh, wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was uh, made up of wild honey and locusts that he found. Yet despite being very different and a unique character, he spoke with incredible passion. He spoke with passion and urgency, so much so that large crowds would come out of the city daily in order to hear what he had to say. They came from every class. They came from every sector of society. Every slice of the socioeconomic ladder came out to hear John and to hear his message. And he spoke with passion and urgency because he knew innately that the Messiah was about to come. And he wanted the people to be ready. He wanted to prepare them for what was about to happen in their midst. If you've been with us, you know that we talk about Advent season as a time of expectancy. It's a time of anticipation where we look forward to Christ's birth, but it also really is a time of preparation as well. Uh, my wife and I both had unique panic, uh, panic moments this, this week. Uh, it was one day this week, we were both kind of looked at each other, and we began to panic about the Christmas season. I was panicking about all the preparations that had to be made for church, for, for bulletins and for special Christmas Eve services and deadlines and all the things that go to having to prepare a church for the holiday season. And she was panicking about the family and all the things that we had to get done for the family, including preparing for Christmas parties and getting gifts and all that sort of stuff. So, so we all know personally that this time of year often involves a lot of preparation. Maybe you're traveling for the holidays and you're thinking about when you would, ought to leave or when you should book flights or when you should do this and that. So there's all sorts of preparation that often comes throughout the holiday season. It just is what it is. And that was really John's message. It was a message about preparation because he knew that the Messiah was coming and that we needed to prepare ourselves. We needed to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. But, but John's words had incredible meaning for his context but they also have meaning for us as well. That's why Luke, the gospel writer, tells us this story, because he doesn't want us to just understand that it was important for John the Baptist to prepare his people, but he also wants us to understand that it's important for you and I to prepare our hearts as well. He wants us to ask, how do we, 2,000 years later, prepare ourselves to receive Jesus? How do we know? How do we make sure that when Jesus shows up, 
that we or our hearts are ready to receive him. And really, we can answer that question in two ways. And the first way that we can answer that question is to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus through his first coming. To prepare our hearts to receive Jesus through his first coming. And this is what John the Baptist really spoke profoundly about. You see, John understood that that Jesus was coming. We don't know everything about what he understood. We knew that that his, his, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, had some insight about what God was about to do. He, he probably knew that, that Mary, who was Elizabeth's cousin, had some substantial role in this arrival of the Messiah. But how much we knew, how much he knew, we don't really know, but we do know that he sensed an urgency that the Messiah was about to come. He was about to be born. He was about to launch his plan of redemption, his plan of rescue into human history. So, so that was his message. It was all about God who was about to come. And he was going to come in both grace and he was going to come in judgment as well. He got the sense of, of the balloon, and you've all filled up balloons before where you start blowing into the balloon, and the balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it is about to pop. Well, that was John's sense. He knew that the kingdom of God was about to launch into the world. It was about to explode into his culture, so he felt an urgency for the people. Would the people be prepared to receive the Messiah. So he preached this message, and, and those that heard this message really had the most profound question they could answer in response to it. And that was, John, if this is true, then what are we supposed to do? If it's true that the Messiah is about to come, if it's true that the kingdom of God is about to come into this world, then what do we do in order to be ready? And he tells us three things. He tells them and he tells us three things that they and we must do in order to be ready for God's kingdom to come. And the first is to recognize and to repent of sins. He says this in verse chapter 8. He speaks about bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. If you're like me, uh, Christmas Day is about building stuff. We have young kids, and we always buy them toys and things like that, bikes and Legos and stuff like that. So for me, Christmas Day is usually this flurry of opening up gifts, and then it's, Dad, can we build this? And the rest of the day is essentially spent building stuff uh, for the kids. And I am the prototypical male when it comes to building stuff. I open the box, and I say, I can figure this out. My kids are like, do we need directions, Dad? And I say, nope. We don't need directions. I can figure this out uh, in, in myself. So then I, you know, I start building whatever it is, and I get down the line of building things, and surprisingly, things aren't working. Somehow, I'm not able to figure this out anymore. So then we go back to the directions, we read the directions, and we have this aha moment that we were going about things the wrong way, And now the directions tell us about how we are to go about them in the right way. Well, in some ways, that is what John was talking about when he talks about this idea of repentance or charging the people to repent. 
It means recognizing in a much more profound way that living life on our own terms is actually living life in the wrong way. He says, that it, he says that repentance means opening your eyes to that aha moment or opening your eyes to the true nature of yourself. It means opening your eyes to see that living on your own has actually been living in rebellion and sin before God. But repentance isn't just recognizing that. It's important. It's an important step to it of recognizing that. But it isn't just recognizing it. It's then changing. You see, it would be foolish for me to build it in the wrong way, then read the directions, and yet continue to build it in the wrong way, even though I recognize that I was building it in the wrong way. You see, repentance is saying, I have lived my life the wrong way, and now I'm going to change direction. I'm going to turn away from living for myself, and instead I'm going to live for God and his plan. It's turning from one way and it's going in a different direction. And that's what John was charging his people. He was charging them to recognize and repent. But he also charged them in verse 8 to not rely on other or false means, but instead believe. To not rely on other or false means, but instead believe. He says in verse 8, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. You see, John knew his audience well. He knew that most of his audience was was filled with people from from the Jewish faith. And he knew that their tendency in order to be made right with God was to rely on their religious heritage or their religious practices. They believed that they were good with God because of these things, because of their heritage, because of uh, of their practices that that they would engage in. But John said something profound to them. He said that all those things really are not enough. In fact, if you don't have faith, those things are actually worthless. And what he said to them is the very thing that is required is faith. It's faith and the repentance that comes with it. But the third thing he also told them, and that you see in verse 4 and 5, not only are they to recognize and repent of their sin, not only are they to stop relying on false means but believe, but ultimately they are to look to Jesus, the one who has made the way smooth. You see, in John's song, he quotes from, from Isaiah 40, like we said before. And if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, you'll know that, that it's not a whole lot of straightforward messaging. Instead, what it is, is lots of pictures. It's lots of illustrations. It's lots of different things that help to, to capture the truth in a very artistic or, or unique way. And what John does as he quotes from Isaiah is he begins to conjure up some of the images that Isaiah talked about in his book and in his prophecies. The images that he talks about are valleys that are being made smooth. He talks about crooked paths that are being made straight. He talks about mountains and hills that are being brought down or made low. He talks about rough places that are being made level. And when you, when you think about it, you wonder, what is he really saying here? But what he is saying is that Jesus has come to make a way back to God. Jesus has come to remove all the obstacles that are in the way between us having a relationship 
with God. He made a way for us to be made right or reconciled with God. He has made the way or the path straight so that we can be in relationship with God the Father. So he says to them, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who has made the way to God possible. And when John's audience heard this message, their lives were changed because of it. Many of them repented. Many of them believed. Many of them looked to Jesus. But the scriptures, this story doesn't have just meaning for John's audience, but it has meaning for you and I as well as we think about what it means to receive Jesus in our hearts, to prepare our hearts in order to receive him. Because we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for you and I to receive Jesus? And in truth, it means the same thing that it meant in John's day. It means for us that we have to recognize our sin. It means that we have to repent from our sin. It means recognizing that we've lived our lives independently of him. We've lived in rebellion. And it means turning from living in that way and instead turning to live for God and the way he designed and intended for us to live. It means we don't rely on other means in order to be made right before God. One author said this, He said, no baptism, he said, no amount of church attendance and no history of Christ in the family can substitute for a personal turning to Jesus with an awareness that he gives forgiveness of sins. It means that a relationship with God is not predicated on a claim of association, but on a heart that's turned consciously to him, seeking forgiveness. What it means is looking to Jesus, who has made the way back to God possible. It means trusting in him by faith with our lives. But this question of of how we prepare our hearts or, or how we make ourselves ready for the coming of Jesus can be answered in another way as well. The second way to answer that question is to really prepare our hearts to receive Jesus by looking forward. To prepare our hearts to receive Jesus by looking forward to his second coming. You see, we live in a very unique time in human history. We live in the time, kind of an in-between time. An in-between time where Jesus has come in the past. He's come in, in history and time and space, and that's what we celebrate in the Christmas story. But he also is coming again at some point. Some people have said the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet here as well. It has been inaugurated in Jesus Christ, but at one point God is going to come again and he's going to bring consummation. He's going to bring that kingdom of God fully at some point when Christ returns. So really, each Advent season, we look backwards at the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward with expectation to the fact that he is coming again. And when he comes again, he will establish perfect justice and righteousness. He will ultimately fix all that has gone wrong and all that has been broken in this world. He will restore this world and he will bring his plan of redemption to completion. 
And the scriptures say that he could come at any time. See, the New Testament writers want us to have a sense of urgency. Not that that Jesus has, has come, but that Jesus one day will come. And that even that day could be today. He could come at any time. So the question becomes, how do we prepare ourselves for that coming? How do we prepare ourselves for the fact that Jesus could come back again at any day and bring his kingdom to realization? And though the question is different, the answer is really the same. The answer is believing in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, many people believe that this this good news of the gospel is, is just the thing that we teach at the beginning of the faith. But the reality is, is it's not just the thing we believe at the beginning, but it's the thing that we have to believe all throughout this journey of faith. One pastor said that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the faith, but it's actually the A to Z of the faith. It is all all of the faith from start to finish. So what the scriptures tell us is that really our entire lives should be about recognizing and repenting from our sins. That each day we need to wake up recognizing that our tendency is to live for ourselves. Our tendency is to live independently of God. It means that we live a life not relying on other means to get to God, not relying on our spiritual resume or our good works. It's, it's choosing not to wrap our value as people in our performance. It is instead recognizing that God's love for us is ba- isn't based on our behavior or our performance. It's based on his grace. You see, this lifestyle rests in Christ and what he has done rather than what we do. And ultimately, it is a life that looks to Jesus, the one who has made the way smooth to God. You see, preparing our hearts for his first coming and his second coming all boil down to looking to Jesus in faith. How does Jesus do this? How does he prepare the way? How does he make the the mountains smooth? How does he make the crooked paths straight? How does he do this? And the answer is because ultimately he was the one that was the voice crying out in the wilderness. One of the most beautiful things about the scriptures is is the scriptures often are, are like an onion. You know, when you peel an onion, you can you can kind of peel layers away from an onion and often uh, when you see passages of Scripture, they, have, uh, they, are, they, are, they are pregnant with meaning. They are full of meaning. And as you peel the, the layers of the onion away, you can begin to see these kind of layers of meaning and picture all throughout the Scriptures. You see, when these, these words from Isaiah 40 were first uttered, they were, they were uttered by the prophet Isaiah at a time in which the nation of Israel was being carried away into captivity. So they had lots of meaning for for Isaiah and his people when he first proclaimed them. But they took on an extra layer of meaning when John the Baptist, thousands of years later, began seeing himself as the voice, the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But then there's a final meaning to these words. 
Because the ancient meaning doesn't mean what it meant for I, just what it meant for Isaiah or just what it meant for John the Baptist, but it meant something deeper because the scriptures tell us that ultimately Jesus was the one. He was the voice that was crying out in the wilderness. The scriptures tell us that after Jesus was, was betrayed and, and arrested and beaten, the scriptures tell us that he was carried out of the city into the wilderness in order to be crucified. The scriptures tell us that, that he was, was hung on a cross. And when he was hanging on that cross in the wilderness outside the city gates, he cried out words. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the last words, the last words that came from his mouth, the last voice that was cried out in the wilderness said, it is finished. You see, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness is the voice of Jesus as he died on the cross. And what we know is that by giving his life as that perfect substitute, he made the path straight for us to be made right with God the Father, for us to be in relationship with God. I don't know if you watched the news this week, uh, but the big news, at least at the beginning of the week, I, I think it was this week, was that the royals were coming to the United States. Uh, it's Prince William, I think, and I don't pay much attention to the royals, to be honest. But it was Prince William and, and, and Kate. I don't know what you call her. She's something important, right? Uh, but they were coming to the United States. For the first time, they were going to be coming to uh, New York City. Uh, and, uh, and when they came, they, they came to New York City and, and they toured New York City. And uh, I think they, they sat courtside at an NBA basketball game and, and they were able to meet with uh, the president. But no doubt when, when, when people, the important people, learned that the royals were coming to, uh, coming to the East Coast, they launched into all sorts of preparation. All the preparations, the wonderful preparations, had to be made so that then the, when the royals arrived here in the United States, we would be prepared and we would be ready for their arrival. You know, the Advent season is about another arrival. It's about God coming, God coming in time and space and in history. But we all know that he didn't come to stay in the best hotels. Instead, he came to be laid in a manger in a stable because there was no room for him in the inn. He wasn't born in a lot of pomp and circumstance like royal kings have often when they travel, but instead he was born to a nothing couple in a, in, in a town that nobody really knew anything about. But he came in order to make a way for us to be in relationship with God. So the question that John put before his audience is the same question that we have to ask ourselves every Christmas season. Is our heart prepared to receive him? Is your heart, is my heart prepared to receive the one who was born in a manger for our sakes? You might ask the same question that 
that John's audience asked him that day. My heart may not be ready, so so what am I supposed to do? The answer isn't to go out and prepare your spiritual resume. The answer isn't to go out and make sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The answer is to repent and to believe in the gospel. Maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time. Ultimately, the answer is to look to Jesus. Because he has come and he is coming again. Are you ready to receive him?